let's, uh, let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we ask right now, as we sit before you in stillness, that you would come into this place. Father, we invite you here. We look for you. We anticipate you. We listen for you. And we are so grateful, Father, that you are here with us. Lord, we lift our praises to you this morning. If we began to praise now, Father, it would take the rest of our lives and then some to be able to praise you for all the things that you have done and that you are doing. But we thank you, Father. We thank you for your tremendous love for us. And we come before you this morning too, Lord, and we lift our country to you. Oh, Lord, we lift our leaders to you right now. Um, we lift President Bush and his family and Vice President Cheney and Father, the Cabinet and the Congress and all those who are in leadership right now. We pray for wisdom, discernment, safety, comfort. Father, we we thank you for these people and we pray that you will surround them. And Father, even as we pray for these, we pray for all of those who have been so deeply affected by the things that are going on in our world, not just in our country, Father, in Afghanistan and all of the places right now that are hurting from these events. We pray for the children, Father, especially right now in Afghanistan, and ask for your grace and for your mercy. Lord, we come to you this morning as a Westmont community, and we bring ourselves to you. We ask that you will bless this time, Father. We ask that you will bless Barbara Taylor this morning as she speaks, that her words will be yours. And Father, we thank you for all that you have done for us and all that you give us. Go before us now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I would like to introduce to you this morning the Vox Lumina, which means Voices of Light, Women's Chorale, that is led by Rebecca Hodson, Steve's wife, and uh, we look forward to hearing you. <laughs> Did I say that correctly? Okay, well. <laughs> Thank you, Rebecca, and the Women's Chorale. Praise the Lord. Well, my name is, for those of you who don't know, Darnisha Taylor. I'm the Director of Music and Worship, and you just heard from the Women's Chorale, of course, and just before them, you heard from our assistant uh, campus pastor, Kathy Noling. This morning, um, I have the distinct privilege of introducing you to uh, a person that's very special to me in my life. She has had a great influence, of course. <clears throat> in fact, I, I wouldn't be here unless she was here. She is my mother, the Reverend Barbara Taylor. She has come all the way from Michigan, to minister to us this morning, and I pray that you'll be blessed by her, the words of her mouth and the testimony, and I have to tell you that what she speaks is what she lives. So be encouraged this morning as we hear from Pastor Barbara Taylor. Welcome. Thank you. You're so sweet. Good morning, Westmont. Thank you for treating my daughter so great. I uh, 
I appreciate that as we left her out here. And, uh, you know, a mother leaving her daughter and thinking, oh, no, my baby. You know, so I thank you, although she's not a baby. But to me, she's always a baby. So, so I want to thank you for treating her so wonderfully here at Westmont. This morning, uh, we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture in uh, Matthew. Now, as we get started, I know I don't have a whole lot of time. I'm, I'm going to try to crunch this all in this little space of time, but I want you to help me out. Because in, in black churches and black congregations, we get help from our congregants, okay? So those of you on this side, I want you to say, help the preacher. Okay, say it. Now, it's not help the preacher, okay? It's help the preacher. So let's try it again. Oh, good, good, good. Hey, all right. Now, those on this side of the room, I want you to say, say that. Oh, good, good. Now, when you, you see, you, you know, I might be given a point and it might be just, whew, almost there but not quite, you say. And when I give a point and you, you know, oh, boy, this is right on, you say. All right, we're ready now. We're ready to preach this morning. <laughs> but this this morning, we want to look at a passage of scripture that in uh, Matthew, where Jesus, it tells us that Jesus replied in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. Jesus replied and he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Almighty God, we pray that you will indeed help the preacher and that your words will not fall on deaf ears, but on ears that are open and hearts that are open to receive. In Jesus' holy name, amen. One of the um, things that really, you know, as, as um, I've gone over the country and out of the country preaching, you know, as you get on the pulpit to preach, you always think, oh, I hope I don't trip over those steps that you got to come up. <laughs> but uh, one of the things that um, has really um, on my heart, has been on my heart, is try to help people to develop a deeper relationship with the Lord. Because sometimes our relationships are very surfacey. And I just want to tell you, if you will bear with me this morning, a little bit about my life and where I come from. I was raised in the backwoods of Tennessee. And when I say backwoods, I mean backwoods. Um, very rural area. It was wonder that I even spoke English. I was so far back in the woods. Now, you may think, sure, sure. But let me tell you, I would tell this story to my children, 
And when I actually took them there where I was raised, they said, oh, mother, you didn't tell us the truth. What? This is worse than you said. <laughs> it was way back. And sometimes, do you ever look back on your life and wonder, how did I get from point A to point B? But see, that's the testimony of how great and awesome God is. In Tennessee, when I was around 12 years old, my brother and myself had to go to the cotton fields to pick cotton to help support our family. We were raised at the time where blacks were not allowed to come in the front doors. And we, when we walked down the street, had to step off the street and put our heads down. Now, this is not a message about, you know, uh, white people, you mistreating black people so long, you know, I'm not telling you about that. I'm telling you how great God is and where he's brought me from. Because God is a good God and a great God. He is an awesome God and a mighty God that he would look down and see this little black girl way back in the Tennessee woods and say, I want you to preach my word. God is a good God. Hey, there you go. Yes. Hallelujah. We're getting it. I didn't have a father in my home. So some of you, you may think, you know, I got a hard road to hoe, as we would say back in the woods. You know, you may think, I got a hard time here, and, and it's not going to work out for me because, you know, after all, you know, my life. I don't have a father because our, our society is, is strewn with divorce. But I didn't have a father in my home. And I moved around a lot from my, I went from my aunt's home, my grandparents' home, to my mother's home. And so there was no stability there. And I had a stepfather, my mother remarried, I had a stepfather, and my stepfather was uh, an alcoholic. And my brother was the only father that I had. He was my soulmate. He was my confidant. He was my friend. He was my father. He was my protector. He was everything. And when I was in high school, I received a phone call, and I had to go down to the principal's office, and I was given the news that my brother had been killed in Vietnam. And I thought, God, where are you now? What have you done to me? And then, as time progressed and I went away to college, met and married my husband, and had my two children, I thought, okay, maybe now my life is getting back on track. I can see this thing through. After all, I knew I was called to preach God's word. I knew it. And then one day, as I was driving home from work to pick my babies up from my mother's home, and I went from, and I was in Detroit, Michigan, and I went from the fourth lane to the first lane, and I didn't know how I got there. 
And I realized at that point in time, there was something wrong with me. And I went to the doctor and I told him, doctor, there's something wrong. I have been, I was driving down the expressway. I got from the fourth lane to the first lane and I don't know how I got there. I've had a headache now for six months and it's not going away. There's something wrong with me. So he proceeded to do a lot of tests and he, and he checked me over and he says, well, I'm not finding anything and it may be a brain tumor. They put me in the hospital, scheduled me for surgery, about to shave my head. When the neurologist came in, he checked my eyes and he says, well, I want to give you some encouragement. It's not a brain tumor. But I want to let you know, it is extremely serious. So I thought, okay. Now, now, God, I know everything that I've been standing on. I was saved at eight, so okay, I'm standing on, and I know how good you are, so you're going to see me through this thing, almighty. So the doctor came in. He began to run tests and tests and tests, transferred me from one hospital to another hospital, and he ran tests and tests and tests. And you, perhaps, those of you who are students, perhaps have heard Darnisha speak of how she's watched her mother lay on a sick bed, not knowing from one moment to the next if she's going to be there or not. And when I got, was at that hospital, and I'm laying on that bed, and I was paralyzed from the waist down, and my whole uh, right side... <laughs> This side over here was paralyzed. And I'm my, uh, uh, um, the little pa pallet thing. Yeah, help the preacher. There you go. Come on. <laughs> the little pallet thing in the back of my throat was paralyzed. And you know, that little thing is very, very significant. I didn't realize it until it was paralyzed. You know, you can choke to death if that little thing doesn't work. But anyway, so I'm laying down here, and the doctor comes in, and he prescribes this medication. And he walks out of the room. He's on his way out of the room, and I'm trying to go, uh, 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 you know. And he stops, and I look at him and get out as, as much as I can get out to ask him, What's wrong? I, you must know something. You prescribe medication. And he looks at me and he says, you have MS. And he turns and he walks out of the room. Well, I knew it had to be serious if it had just letters. <laughs> MS. Okay, this is some serious stuff. <laughs> so I made a phone call to a friend of mine who was a scientist. And she did all this research, and she came and she told me what it was. And she told me that MS attacked the spinal column, and it would uh, crystallize portions of the spinal column. And the portion that it crystallized was, uh, would render you paralyzed or whatever it, it controlled in the body. So I said, okay. That sounds pretty serious. And I begin to pray and think, God, you've got to help me here. You know? 
I didn't feel like I was sick. I, I felt fine on the inside. And that was the point I realized that this body was nothing more than a house. That's all it was. Because me, myself, I felt fine. But the body just was not working. And so as I lay there on that bed, I thought, God, I need some help here. But there was no help that came. And I thought, what is this? I have tried to obey you. I have tried to serve you. And there's nothing here. And you're not helping me as I lay here on this bed. And my condition was getting worse and worse and worse. And the doctor came in and he says, Mrs. Taylor, I don't want to discourage you. But at the rate of the progression of your disease, at most, five years because it was shutting down my internal organs and I lay there but the point that I realized oh my god I can't do anything was at the point that I turned one morning I woke up and I'm laying there thinking I need to be quiet because the sun wasn't up and I'll just lay here and I'll be quiet until the nurses come in and it'll be all right. And then my roommate said, well, isn't the sun bothering you? I said, well, what do you mean? She said, that sun shining all in their face like that, doesn't that bother you? I thought, stop kidding, Robin. Don't play. This, this is no joke. She said, no. The sun is shining through the window on your face. Don't you see it? And that was the point I realized. I had no more fight in me. It's like, God, where are you? You've left me. I have two babies that I cannot see to take care of. I cannot even hold them in my arms. I was willing to go through everything else, but now I've lost my sight too. As I lay there on that bed and I thought, God, I need a miracle. But no miracle came. And then as I lay there and I began to go within myself and I thought, Jesus. I know what your word says that you would do. I know what you tell us that we need to put our hope. And I wish I could tell you I was a mega saint at that time, but I wasn't. I lay there on that bed and I thought, Jesus, I need help, but you are not coming. And then as the days passed, I realized, Lord, I'm not even going to ask you to heal me. Because I realized God wanted me to love him in spite of everything else. As he took Job through his ordeal, it wasn't about whether Job had boils or whether his friend, friends denied him. It was about whether he loved him, his attitude, his heart. So I got on my, well, not on my knees, well, couldn't get out of bed, but as I was there, I said, God, it doesn't matter what you do to me. It doesn't matter 
Regardless, I will love you. I will love you even though there's no hope of recovery. I will love you. See, in this world, God is looking, looking, looking all around to see, will you love him? Your situation and circumstance can change any moment, any time, because God is a good God. He's a great God. He's an awesome God. He's a sovereign God, and he can heal you. He can change whatever situation, whatever circumstance. It doesn't mean anything to him, but he is concerned about the heart. And when my heart was changed, whereby I said, God, it doesn't matter because of who you are. I love you. Will we say that to him today? Will you be able to say, God, it doesn't matter what situation or circumstance. It doesn't matter if I don't get what I think I should get. It doesn't matter if it doesn't happen the way I think it should happen. It doesn't matter if it doesn't line up with my theology. It doesn't matter. Because God, you are God. Amen. Amen. And that is where God brings us to. Yes, the promises are true. Yes and amen. Yes, as I laid there on that bed and he told me, he says, yes, I will heal you. But I want you to know, before I got better, I got worse. Because the God tests us. And he doesn't test us with a hard time. Because we, when the hard times, everybody turns to the Lord. We saw it at the bombing of the World Trade Center. There was no more debate about separation of church and state. We saw it. Everyone turns to God and says, oh, God, we need some help in the hard times. In the good times, we tend to forget him. But it's the times when we go to him in prayer, and he seems not to answer those dry times that will test whether we will love him or not. Will you love him? When, will you love him decision, make the decision to love him regardless as to whether he answers or not? Or what we think he should answer. God is looking for a generation that will stand among their peers and that will say, I love you, God, regardless of the situation or the circumstance, regardless as to whether you do it the way I think you should do it. I love you, God. It's a decision. Our world tells us, get the good feeling now. It's not about feeling. It's about faith. And as I lay there in that hospital bed, it's like, God, if I can say nothing else, I say, though you slay me, yet will I trust you. Because God, it doesn't change. You are still righteous. 
you are still pure. You are still holy. You are still just. You are still great. You are still God. Amen. And amen. And in closing, I want you to know, it's not about the miracles that will keep you or hold you. If it was, the children of Israel would have been kept and they would have been held. But it is about our choice to love him, regardless as to what goes on. God is good. And all the time, amen. Thank you so much.